Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. <coughs> welcome to our daily devotional for June the 8th. So if you will recall, our daily devotionals are divided into two different segments. We have our verse of the day segment. And we have our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So our verse for June the 8th comes from First Peter 5, 6, which says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So we often worry about our position and status in the world's eyes, hoping to get proper recognition for the things that we do. Hoping to get proper recognition for the things that we do. But what Peter here is advising us to do, is he is advising us to remember that God's recognition counts more than human (coughs) praise. Because you see, God is able and willing to bless us according to His timing. That's the key there, right? His timing. Not our timing, but God's timing. So we must humbly obey God, regardless of our present circumstances and and, and, <coughs> and in His good time, either in this life or the life that will follow, or the life that will come after, the life that we have been promised, God will honor you. So that is what we must do. That is what Peter is advising us here to do. So the Bible readings for June the 8th are 1st Kings chapter 3, verse 3, through 1st Kings chapter 4, verse 4, Acts chapter 6, Psalm 126, 1 through 6, and Proverbs 16, 26 through 27. So that concludes our verse of the day segment for June the 8th. We're now going to move into Bible in One Year segment for June the 8th. And just as a friendly reminder for all of you out there, if you have missed any of these segments, you can get caught back up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. Again, that is upstatechristian.com. So we are in day 158 now 
of our through the Bible in one year. And our focus for day 158 is going to be on John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. So on June the 7th, which will be day 157, if you are looking to keep up with those dates, we saw the first of two predictions that Jesus made in John chapter 13. So that first prediction was that Judas would betray Jesus, which was Judas' betrayal of him to the religious and political authorities of the day. And today we're going to see Jesus' second prediction in John chapter 13, which is his prediction that Peter will deny him in his greatest time of need. But sandwiched in between, Jesus explaining what his disciples have just seen in this prediction that Jesus made of Peter's denial, we see Jesus giving a new command to his disciples and to us. <clears throat> so now we are going to pick up in John chapter 13, verse 31, and we are going to go through verse 33 for right now. So here's what that says. It says, When he was gone, and he there being Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and he will, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. <coughs> you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. See here is that Jesus' departure from the Passover meal that Jesus is eating with his disciples on this Thursday before he was crucified advances the plot. This is the part that advances the plot if you're going to write a story. This is the part towards the middle of the story, the middle of the book if you're writing a novel that advances the plot along. And that is what we see here. And we see that Jesus turned his attention to his disciples and that he began to instruct them, which is what the rest of this upper room discourse is all about. It's Jesus is in final instructions to his disciples before he goes away. So what he does here is he spoke to them of his death as if it had already taken place since it was part of God's plan 
And then we also say nothing could stop it from happening. Even though Peter and other in the other three gospels had clearly stated that he was more than willing to prevent this from happening because he did not feel that it fulfilled in his mind what Jesus' mission here on earth actually was all about. <coughs> so here Jesus lovingly referred to his disciples as his children and that he would be separated from his children during the time between his death and his resurrection and that the disciples would not be able to accompany him where he was going. So now we're going to pick up in verse 34, and we're going to take it through the end of this section, which would be verse 38. So here's what those verses say. There's a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will <coughs> disown me or deny me three times. Well, here we see Jesus instructed his disciples to love one another, and we're going to circle back around and talk about that at the very end, once we have gone through one of the basics that we need to really, 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 and truly understand this important section of John chapter 13. So the reason for this would soon become evident when Jesus describes the world's hatred of himself, and he describes the world's hatred of his disciples. So you see, the command to love is new because it is based on a new standard of love. Not an old standard of love, not the old standard of love, but the new standard of love, which was Jesus' selfless love for his disciples. So you see, Jesus was not asking his disciples to do anything that he himself had not already done. We also see that love is to be the distinguishing mark of Jesus' followers. So what's the interesting point here before we move on to talking about verses 34 and 35 in detail, which is the part that gives the new command and the part that tells us what this new command will demonstrate, right? So what's the interesting part? The interesting part here is that Peter passed over Jesus' comment concerning love and returned to 
Jesus' departure, Peter was not concerned about Jesus giving him a new command to do what he wasn't concerned about a new command to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Peter wasn't concerned about that. Jesus was more concerned with the fact that Jesus has said, I'm going to go away and you can't come with me. So Peter must have understood. Why is this big important, right? Because Peter must have understood that danger would be involved since he can say to die for Jesus. And the irony that we see here, the irony, the irony of all of this is that Jesus would be the one laying down his life. And that the other disciples must have been shocked, shocked when Jesus prophesied Peter's denials. Why would they have been shocked? Peter was the spokesperson. Peter was the loudmouth. Peter was the one who was front and center in every action that the disciples took. He was the one out front leading. And for Jesus to have said, The man who is your door, the man who is in front leading the way, whether good or bad, is going to come out and deny me in my darkest hour, which is essentially what Jesus was saying here. Peter is going to come out and deny me in the time when I need him to actually stand up with me. And so this prediction would have been especially difficult for Peter here. Because you see, he had just professed his willingness to die for him. As we see in verse 37, when Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So now let's turn our attention back to verses 34 and 35. Because with these two verses, we find the key point of this entire section in John chapter 13. And you see, we're going to start with verse 34, which says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. <coughs> right? So you must love one another. So as Christ followers, we are commanded to love each other in a spirit special way. Though we may not be all belong to the same local church, or we or the same denomination, or we may not even agree on the same issues, right, on certain issues, there are four big things that we should take away from verse 34, which is all about unity. So the first big away from this is as believers we must distinguish true Christians from those who only pretend to follow Jesus by examining their love and obedience to Christ and their loyalty to God's 
world. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we should that we see here. That's a big thing we should take away from here. Is any person who has a true and active faith in Jesus Christ and remains loyal to the authority of God's word. That is as it is revealed by the Holy Spirit through prayer and the earnest study of the Bible. Right? Is a brother and sister in God's family. Right? Doesn't matter if they come from a different denomination. Doesn't matter if they have different things they think are big issues and different things they think are small issues. Doesn't matter where they stand on things that don't matter in the long run. What matters is that they have a true and active faith in Jesus Christ and they remain loyal to the authority of God's Word, which is the Holy Bible, as revealed to them by the Holy Spirit, prayer and earnest study, right? <coughs> and we also need to say that those who are willing to stand for Christ, it means this popular but ungodly beliefs and behaviors of our day deserve special love and support from one another. So that's the second thing. The third thing we need to see here that is big is that loving all true Christians, including those outside of our local church or fam fellowship, does not mean that we must compromise our specific biblical beliefs or agree totally with their doctrine. You can hold specific biblical beliefs that you believe to be true and the Spirit has revealed to you to be true. And there can be certain things that are doctrinally true to you, but may not be doctrinally true to others. But you don't compromise those beliefs when you gather in unity because those are things that are specific to you and not specific to that other person. What matters what matters is the fact, is the fact they have said Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and that he is the only way to get to God. That is what matters. So while these things should not divide us and prevent us from accomplishing our highest mission of leading others to accept the truth of Christ, we do not necessarily have to agree or come together on all issues of faith and organization. We do have to come together and agree that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. That is what we all have to agree on. That is the building block for Christian unity. And it's the biggest reason why the church fails. It's the biggest reason why people want nothing to do with us as so-called Christians, as so-called followers of Christ. Because what they see is they see us acting no 
better than they do, and we're divided, and we fight, and we claw at each other over stupid little things that mean absolutely nothing in the long run. So that's the third thing, right? Keep in mind, this is all about unity, because that is what Jesus is teaching here when he gives this new command, is that we have to be united together by a love for each other that is derived from Christ's love for us. So the fourth and final thing that we see here verse 34, is that as followers of Christ, we must never compromise God's holiness for the sake of a false unity. We must never compromise God's holiness for the sake of a false unity. So loving, what that means is that loving God and His purposes, as revealed in His Word, will enable us to show God's love to others, especially to those who believe differently than we do. So love for God must always be our top priority. Love for God must be always be our top priority. Not love for our denomination. Not love for our doctrinal beliefs. Not love for the way things have always been done by our local church. But love for God. And if another group that is Christian believes in the Bible and is Bible believing and Bible teaching loves God, then we should unite together with them to stand against the devil. And so now let's finish up by looking at verse 35, which says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So true godly love, which is the Greek word agape, must be the mark of distinction for Christ's followers. This agape love is basically a self-giving and sacrificial love that seeks and promotes the good of others. So therefore, relationships among followers of Christ must be characterized by this kind of love and devotion. And if this type of love is missing, people outside the church will not get an accurate picture of Christ's love. It may see no reason to consider being part of his church because we are no different than, than they are. And there's no reason for them to be part of a group that is exactly the same but professes to be different. So as followers of Christ, we must befriend each other through difficulties, be careful of each other's feelings and reputations, and put aside our own interests in order to promote each other's welfare. You see, when we do this, the world will see a huge difference between what they have and what we have, which will ultimately lead them to wanting what we as followers of Christ have to offer, because it's something that is so completely and radically different than what they have. It's so completely and radically different than what the world offers them. It's a unity not based on how we look. It's not a unity based on how we think. It's not a 
unity based on how we govern ourselves, but it's a unity based on the love that was shown to us by the Son of God that we then in turn show to each other by doing the things that we just talked about there, right? By befriending each other through difficulties, by being careful of others, of each other's feelings and reputations, and by putting aside our own interests, our own feelings, to promote the welfare of each other, the well-being of each other. And when we do that, we will see an explosion happen in the church, which, by the way, is what happened in the book of Acts. As, as, we're gonna, as you're going to start to see, as we're reading through this, as I hope you're starting to see, as we go through this, as we go through God's word each and every day, I hope you have seen the book of Acts so far in our readings. We haven't talked about the book of Acts yet, because we're still working our way through John, but you've been reading through it. Hopefully you've been reading through it, and what you have seen, there's this explosion in the church, because what the people that became converts saw was something that was so radically different that they couldn't help wanting to be part of that. And so we're going to pick up from here tomorrow, as we see Jesus offering comfort to his disciples, as we start John chapter 14. And so what you need to read to be ready to discuss that. Is First Kings chapter five and six, Acts chapter seven verses one through twenty nine, Psalm one twenty seven verses one through five, and Proverbs sixteen twenty eight through thirty. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our our daily devotional for. June the 9th. So as you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two distinct segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse of the day for June the 9th comes from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, which says all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, <coughs> so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what are we talking about here, right? So what are we talking about? So here we're talking about the doctrine of inspiration, which refers to the process by which God oversaw the composition of Scripture. That would be both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, it was just the Old Testament. Now it is both the Old Testament and the New Testament which can bind, make up the book we call the Holy Bible. 
<coughs> so he was uh, it's the process by which God oversaw the composition of scripture by guiding the authors to write exactly what he wanted them to write without error. So the Greek word that we see here translated as inspired in some uh, translations that what we see in the NIV is is being God breathed right is literally breathed out by God which is what the NIV translates it as the Christian standard translates it as inspired so what happens is our God communicates and has worked and has worked supernaturally to the Holy Spirit to communicate perfectly to us. So when we are reading the Bible, whatever translation you choose to read it in, and by the way, you need to pick a translation that you can read and understand. There's a whole slew of them out there. You can find them free if you have a smartphone or a tablet by downloading the Version Bible app that has a whole, that has every English translation available out there for you to use, plus translations in many, many, many other languages for you to use. So what we're saying is that when we read the Bible, we are reading the very words of the living God, which is highly important. So let's pick up that in verse 17. So let's keep going. So what does it say? So it says all scripture is profitable for teaching, which is instructing you in the truths that you need to know for rebuking which is reproving you for what you have done wrong for correcting which is showing you what is right and for training you in righteousness which is guiding you to approach life as God intended so therefore everything a believer needs to become that God redeemed him or her for everything that God has redeemed you for has been deposited in the scripture. Everything you need to become what God has redeemed you for has been put into God's word, into the Bible, into scriptures. And so then, these are the questions that you must ask yourselves in order to apply this truth, these truths to your life. You gotta ask yourself, how do you intentionally expose yourself to teaching and preaching that are based on the authority of God's word? And what steps do you take to apply what you have learned. Because it doesn't matter if you just hear it, but you never ever ever apply it. Because you got to take it and you got to apply it. Cause it's not until you take it and apply it and it becomes anything of it. 
Because if you don't take it and apply it, it does never become anything of value to you. It just becomes empty noise. It just becomes like a gong going off in your head over and over and over and over again. And eventually it will lose meaning. So the Bible readings that you need to do for June the 9th. Again, our first Kings chapter five chapters five and six. Acts chapter seven verses one through twenty nine. Psalm one twenty seven verses one through five. And Proverbs sixteen twenty eight through thirty. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We are now going to move into our through the Bible in one year segment for June the 9th. So, just a reminder, we are now into day 159 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. Again, if you have missed any of our, any segment whatsoever of either Verse of the Day or Through the Bible in One Year, you can get caught up with them by visiting Upstate christian.com again that's upstatechristian.com so our focus for today is going to be a very very short passage in john chapter 14 it's going to be john chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. so yesterday june the 8th we finished up john chapter 13 by seeing this new command that jesus had given us and then we also saw Jesus talking about his imminent departure and how his disciples could not follow him. And today, as we start in chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus comforting his disciples. And what we need to keep in mind as we begin chapter 14, that everything that has happened so far and everything that will continue to happen up on up through John chapter 17 and even on into John chapter 18 parts of it all takes place on the same day and over the course of several hours so as I already said, what we're going to see today, we're going to see Jesus comforting his disciples over their distress that he has said that he's going to leave them and that they cannot follow him where he is going. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 14, verse 1, which says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So again, in this chapter, Jesus explained to the disciples why it was better for them that he depart than that he remains with them. So he gave five reasons 
why his going was to their advantage. Reason number one was that he was going to prepare a better place for them, which is what we see today in verses 1 through 4. The second reason was to show them the way to the Father, which is what we're going to see in tomorrow in verses 5 through 7. The third reason was to provide greater intimacy of relationship with the Father, which is what we're going to see in verses 8 through 11. And we're going to see that the day after tomorrow. That would be, we're going to see um, him showing the way to the Father on Friday. We're going to see the need uh, the, to, to provide greater intimacy of relationship with the Father on Saturday, which is verses 8 to 11. We're going to see to enable them to do greater works, verses 12 through 14 on Sunday. And lastly, we're going to see to descend see to send the divine helper, which is verses 15 to 31 on Monday. So, this set of Jesus, of this discourse that is happening on Jesus' last earthly day with his followers, in fact, his last earthly hours with his disciples, unfolds through a series of questions that begin with Peter's question in John chapter 13, verse 36, which was the one that said, Lord, where are you going? That was the question Peter asked, and we see that Jesus starts to begin to answer that question today. We already saw him answer it, right? Because he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus here tells his disciples where he is going. And that he is going to his father's house. So the atmosphere in the room would have been extremely because the disciples likely felt Jesus' mission in their eyes was unraveling before them. But yet even though Jesus himself faced his greatest crisis, his concern was still for his disciples. So what we see here is that chapter 14 begins with Jesus continuing to answer the question that Peter asked in verse 36, which was, Lord, where are you going? Peter wanted to know where Jesus was going, but he could not follow him. So Jesus encouraged his disciples not to lose heart. He urged them to believe in him as they believed in God. And you see, as Jews, as good Jewish men, as good and devout followers of Judaism, the very fact that Jesus said that he was equal to God would have shocked his disciples. Right? 
why why would it have shot his disciples because for any person to say that Jesus I am equal to God would be tantamount to blasphemy which is what the Pharisees accused him of doing the Pharisees accused him of blasphemy and his disciples would have thought the same thing right <clears throat> so what Jesus wanted him to understand was that his departure was beneficial because you said Jesus was going to prepare a place for them in his father's house and that the many rooms in the father's house are a vivid way of depicting ample room in heaven for all of Jesus' followers. Because you see, Jesus assured them they knew the way to where he was going. So now let's circle back around and look in greater detail at verses 2 and 3, which are really, really, really the key verses in this section of John chapter 14. These first short four verses of John chapter 14. Right, so first we're going to look at verse 2. Which says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not, so would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. So that's one of the key verses there. So the phrasing of this verse in other words, the way the wording of this verse is put together clearly refers to heaven. The place to which Jesus was returning to prepare a place for his followers, not just his disciples then, but all of his followers who would come later key there, key there, gotta understand that part, right? Jesus wasn't just returning to prepare a place for his disciples then, he was returning to prepare a place for every person who would ever come to believe in him. So we see here that God's eternal home has many rooms, which is implying permanent dwelling places. So this earth is our temporary dwelling place. We were not designed to live on this earth forever. Our bodies were not designed to live forever. Our bodies were built to die. And they will die eventually. But you see, when our outer shell dies, our soul is either going to go to spend eternity with God in heaven, or it's going to be banished to spend eternity apart from God in hell. Because you see, just like we talked about earlier, heaven and hell are real places to a true follower of Christ. Heaven is where you go when you die and you're a follower of Christ. You have chosen to follow God 
with your life. That's where you go when you're mortal shell on this shell that is just housing God, your soul comes to it and it dies. It does what it is naturally supposed to do, which is dies. Your soul will live on forever in the presence of God. But if you have decided to live apart from God throughout your mortal life, when you die and you go into the next life, in other words, when the outer shell that houses that person's soul dies, he doesn't go to spend eternity with God because he's chosen to live apart from God. He goes and spends eternity apart from God in a place called hell. So you see, Jesus offering words of comfort here, right? Because you see, we're going to go to a permanent dwelling place that will last for ever. Because you see, members of God's household now on earth will one day transfer to their eternal home with God. For here we do not have an enduring, as the writer of Hebrews wrote, for here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. That's Hebrews 13, verse 14. So now let's turn our attention to verse 3. Which says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Where I am. So as surely as Christ went to heaven, as surely as Christ went to heaven, he will return to take his followers, those of us who have professed our faith in him and who believe that he is who he says he is. We have chosen to make him our Lord and Savior of our lives. To not live apart from God, but to live our lives honoring to God. Right? So he will one as soon as Christ he will return to take his followers to the place that he has prepared for us as followers of Christ. That is what he is telling us. That's why they were words of comfort, because his disciples were worried, Hey, we ain't gonna be able to follow Jesus and you're not gonna be able to follow me right now. But one day you will be able to follow me. And when that day comes You'll be able to walk into the same place that I am walking into within the next few hours. And that will be a great comfort to you going forward. You see, this was the hope of the New Testament Christians. The New Testament followers of Christ was that when they died, they would get to go and be with God in glory. And it's the same hope for those of us that are followers of Christ today, that when we die, we will get to go to be with God in glory also. Because you see, death is not the end for us. Death is merely the beginning.
beginning of a whole new life where everything will be perfect, everything will be a little bit better. It's not saying that we should not live our lives to the best now and do the best we can now. No, 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 no. That saying that when we look at death, death is not something that we should fear. The disciples were afraid that Jesus was going to go someplace and they weren't going to be able to follow him. Jesus said, no, no, you'll be able to follow me. And you see, where I'm going, you're going to be able to go to one day. Not right now, but one day. That's the hope that we have, is that one day we'll get to go and be with Jesus. One day everything will be better. One day. One day. Not right now. But one day. That's the hope that we cling to. It's the hope that the followers of Christ in the New Testament clung to. And it's the hope that we cling to today. And we'll see very four very big things that we can glean out of this one short verse in John chapter 14. And those four things are, number one, the ultimate purpose of the Lord's return is that his faithful people may be with him forever. God wants us to be with him forever. God doesn't want anybody to spend eternity apart from him. What you see, God is a gentleman. He's not going to force those that don't want to be a part of him, that want nothing to do with him in this life, to spend eternity with someone they have neither cared for, nor wanted anything to do with in this life. That's the first thing. The second thing is the words, take you to be with me, in verse 3. Refer to the rapture, which is when all followers of Christ, both those who are still alive at that time, as well as those who have already died, will be, as Paul wrote to the, Thessalon- to the church at Thessalonica, in First Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, that we will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Because you see, one day God's going to come and call every single one of us home whether we've already been dead and our soul has gone to heaven now our body's going to rise up out of that grave and go to be there so that our body can be made new or those of us who are still alive will be bodily taken up into heaven at that point in time so that we won't die a natural death but we'll get to live forever in eternity with God with a new body. Following so far, right? What we have to understand is this will take place suddenly and it will take place at an unexpected time and because of that we need to be prepared for it. So the third thing we see here is that Christ coming for his faithful followers 
will enable us to escape the future hour of trial and then judgment that will come on this world in the end of time because you see God is going to come back to judge the world for every evil thing that has happened and it would only make sense for those of us that have been that are followers of him that have chosen to live our lives in honor to him giving glory and honor to him to be taken out of this world before judgment is passed on the wicked in this world and the very wicked nature of this fallen world that only makes sense that's why this was such a comfort to Jesus' disciples. And so the fourth and final thing is the expectation of this glorious and eternal reunion should be a comfort to all who desire to be with the Lord forever. It should be a comfort to all who desire to, as the, as the Apostle Paul wrote again to the Thessalonians, to the church at Thessalonica in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 17 to 18 for all who desire to be with the Lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words why are they encouraging words because you see one day everything will be made right even though we may not live to see it even though we may die before it happens, but you see, even though we may die before it happens, we'll get to go to be in a better place. We'll get to go to be with our Savior. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be living on this earth. Oh, I can't wait to die. I can't wait to die. Death can't come with this. No, no, no. It's not what Jesus thinks. Jesus saying, live your life to the fullest. And even if the world persecutes you, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in this discourse, then you know for a certain fact that the world persecutes you unto death, to the point that you die. That you should not be afraid of that fact. You should not be afraid of the fact that you're going to go someplace where your family and friends can't follow you right now. But you're going someplace where they will follow you eventually, provided they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we'll pick up from here tomorrow as we look at Jesus' sixth I am statement. And what you need to read to be prepared for that is first Kings chapter seven, Acts chapter seven verses thirty through fifty, Psalm one twenty eight one through six, and Proverbs sixteen thirty one through thirty three.